Welcome to Tinder Subject, the only podcast. Wait, fuck, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> you can just say uh, the podcast where the flesh is tender and the meat is special. Okay. All right. Welcome to Tinder Subject, the podcast where the flesh is tender and the meat is special. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> special product. Special product obfuscation. Woo. Um, Woo. I'm Jay. I am a music librarian in Boston, and I use he/him pronouns. Kate, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I am Kate. <laughs> I'm Kate. Um, I'm a, a visual artist in South Philly, and my pronouns are she/her or they/them. Hooray! And what are we talking about this week? Woo! This week it's just us, no guests. Yeah, just us. Um, and we're talking about um this fucking incredible book. Yeah. Uh, that we just read called Tender is the Flesh. Oh, it's so good. Um, what's the author's name again? I'm too um Augustina Bastari Bastaricha or Bastarica. I don't know which um Right, because she's Argentinian. Yeah, Augustina. Yeah. Jazz Bastaricha. Out. I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know. And then by extension, the book Meet Love by Amber Hussein. Yes, because we want to talk about that too. Yeah. Because we um, think it's relevant. Absolutely. So how do we want to get started? Oh, so we should start by saying this is this will be a um, spoiler alert oh, yeah. podcast. So if you haven't read the book, Tender is the Flesh, and you care about spoilers... Go read it, finish it. It's quick. Um, yeah. It's incredible. And then listen to this podcast. If you don't care about spoilers, because obviously, you know, it's not the only thing of a book as like reveals. Um, it's okay to listen to spoilers first if that's something that you're interested in. But yes, we're going to talk about Tender is the Flesh. Um, it's an incredible novel about a time uh it's about 20 years in the future and there is a disease that infects all animals and it's totally real we promise it totally right. wasn't made it's up by the government a government uh conspiracy totally not no absolutely real so it infects all animals because mammals and birds get diseases in exactly the same way <laughs> mm -hmm. no but anyway it is it's it's not necessary to know the science of that. Um, it is a um, a disease that infects all of the animals and then the humans who have not died from eating diseased animals, they turn to raising humans, basically. As livestock. Like, as livestock from, you know, they're, they're like, from start to finish. It's not that, like... There is some kidnapping of humans and stuff like that, but there is like mass production, industrial, industrial farming of humans. Where they don't even know English or anything or right. Spanish or they have whatever their, language. Yeah. They have their vocal cords removed. That too. Um, so they cannot communicate at all. Um, so they are 
yeah, they're treated as livestock. They're not seen as human at all. They're not called human. They're called product after. Well, they're called head. Mm-hmm. And then the meat is called special product. Mm-hmm. And they're special the meat. word they're special sausage. Cannibalism yeah. is not allowed either. Like it's very much looked down upon to call it cannibalism because at this point, the humans that you're eating are so dehumanized that they are not really humans. They are head. Right. To eat an actual human uh, would be cam- cannibalism, except for in the instance of, for example, the the big game reserves that celebrities who are in deep debt can be hunted for sport. And if they live, their debt gets removed. It's really fucked up. But if not, then you get you get got. And then that's that's not cannibalism. That's fine. They agreed. Right. It was consensual. Yeah, there's totally. many, many. Yeah, there's lots of loopholes. And the book is extremely. um, So the other thing we wanted to talk about in this episode is how having a podcast about cannibalism has made me a vegetarian. (laughs) So we wanted to talk about that. um, Because the author of the book went vegetarian because of researching for it. Yes. So we have discovered in our in our travels while doing this podcast that there are quite a few people who are artists who have worked in horror in some way who have been turned off from meat while they are working on a piece of art that is about cannibalism so brian fuller from hannibal stopped eating meat while he, i don't know if he stopped forever but he stopped while he was working on hannibal Guillermo del Toro stopped eating meat when he saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we talked about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And Augustina Bastariccia, uh, or Bastariccia stopped eating meat while doing research for this book um, because she had to go to, for research, to go to a lot of slaughterhouses and they were terrifying and horrifying to actually see. It's one thing to talk about those things. It's another thing to see those things. So that's what we thought we would talk about tonight, I think, is like looking and seeing and what that means Mm -hmm. in regards to meat and how the act of sort of like not looking, refusal to look, um, you know, makes you live in a society where you could potentially eat humans (laughs) humans <laughs> mm-hmm. and like with tenders the flesh it also like it's not just a condemnation of you know industrialized farming in the meat industry and whatnot it's also like explicit that um capitalism is the problem and yes. also that this is tied up like you cannot separate the way that we like slaughter animals and like treat them and everything with the way that we also as a society treat women um like it was meant to be also a huge condemnation of misogyny and how like capitalism like these are it's like how we mentioned in texas chainsaw massacre episode like all these problems that these different people are facing it's all the same problem right Mm -hmm. yes absolutely yeah that we do this right now in capitalism you know, it's not a book that's like, it is a book that's horrific and is a, you know, has a lot of 
extremely like graphic descriptions of people being killed and eaten and um you know for good reason mm-hmm. but it is it, i think it's like not meant to be like oh my god could you imagine if we did stuff like that because we already do stuff like mm-hmm. that we already we, do yeah like we do it to animals but we also do it to humans um and like capitalism is the method of grinding down humans and also grinding down animals in industrial farming and industrial agriculture and talking about it for a couple of months and on various episodes like raw texas chainsaw massacre motel hell so it was those things combined with a visit to an animal sanctuary with my boyfriend for his birthday and the thing that really got me was um there were these calves these two male calves who they had rescued from a veal farm and they were these like two brothers who were like hanging out Mm. just like eating grass and clover and just like loving on each other and like basically the promise with this animal sanctuary was that like these two guys get to like live out their time together and they wouldn't be separated from each other and uh i that was it for i was like fuck i am looking like you know i think that that is an important thing for a lot of us under capitalism and i understand it like we are all extremely busy. We are all overworked. We're all overtired. And that is like part of the mechanism of capitalism that we don't have time to think um, and process. And like standing there and looking at these cows, I was like, well, that's it for me. I'm done. I can't eat meat anymore. I'm looking at these guys. Yeah, it's like I, I hope everyone listening and who has ever listened to episodes of our podcast know that like we would never shame like your individual no. choice about whether you do or do not eat meat. Your you as someone who eats meat are not the problem. Um, no, not it, at all. Yeah, no. like I am very much like a total liberation mindset. But like even in an ideal society, there will still be people who have health problems where they might need to eat animal protein right that's just like a reality right like yeah and i think that like you know for a lot of us like the idea of like choosing not to eat meat is just sort of like part of pre-figurative politics you know that like you are looking at like you know the the mechanics of capitalism that grind you down and think about like what are the things that i can choose to sort of like rail against so that i can start thinking about a different kind of world because it gets you into the mindset of thinking about a different kind of world if you practice a different kind of whatever eating family configuration you know mutual aid all those things right because like veganism as a consumer boycott kind of does nothing right i mean there's that much less meat being eaten but does that mean that there's not much meat being slaughtered and raised right like being a toll on 
our climate catastrophe and all that like framing it as like an ethics of consumer boycott is never going to be the answer so yeah like we we hope that we have earned your trust dear listener that if you are eating a what i'm sure is a delicious juicy steak right now while you listen um which good for you you pervert like (laughs) (laughs) that'd be amazing if people sat down to dinner yeah like while while listening to tender subject, I mean, I'm one of those people I, I can like eat while Hannibal. I watch Hannibal, right? Like I used to be, like, yeah, people yeah, be like, yeah. I can't eat while I watch Hannibal, and I'm like, you can't. It all the food looks so tasty. No, it's the perfect time to eat. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that we are not judging you um, and your choices, whatever they might be. No, I mean, yeah. I've literally been a meat eater for like yeah. over a decade, and I do a lot of other dumb stuff. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> we all do a lot of dumb stuff, but I think it's like the process of of looking and slowing down and understanding and thinking of just thinking about like you know what would it be like if I if I decided not to eat this steak? I don't know, you know, even if you did it like one, you know, once and just thought about it, like it's an interesting sort of like exercise i guess right like i think of one of the brilliant things of this book is that like um so we're like kind of like first we're like third person limited perspective mm-hmm. um i think or is it first person i can't remember i have to look uh... in my text but like so we're just like basically though we're in the mind of someone who like m- runs third. one of these third person runs one of these slaughterhouses mm-hmm. and like all of the things that he does and everything and so it's like that kind of like limited perspective where you're kind of forced into the head space of another person like this book then forces you to sort of go if i lived in this society what would i do and especially this book is really brilliant about talking about the propaganda around head and special product and that like why wouldn't we all just go vegetarian and eat a bunch of tofu and shit right yeah that's not even brought up right like as an option right like for the people you know for the majority of the population who could survive just fine without any animal products we can make b12 guys it's fine you're not gonna die (laughs) but there's like propaganda in the book like they talk about how people like would go on the news and talk about how like protein deficiencies and like all of this stuff even though there's like you know hundreds of years of people who like don't eat meat and are just fucking fine right so it's like it talks about this like brilliant of like almost it's like a taboo to be vegetarian in the society even though like now it's like yeah there might be a stigma to it um but it's not like it's like even worse to be vegetarian in this society than it is now which is fucking bonkers to me (laughs) yeah yeah it's considered just like kind of spooky and weird you know like you're not accepting it's like yeah you become just sort of a marginalized like uh like a radical but not in like more kind of like radical in that you're just like a like a wackadoo you know like you're like sort of a woo-woo person who like cares too much about human like the humans that are being produced you know and it's like it just like makes you a silly human yeah. um, which is wild because like i do think that's also something that like vegetarianism has also been perceived as for a really long time like i think that one of the 
bummer things about it's the same thing with like sort of liberal environmentalism Mm -hmm. that like it's not tied to any sort of like materialist culture it's a it's just like we like trees and cows which is great i like trees and cows too but like we also have to tie it to like how does that affect people day to day you know and like what happens when it's not a cute animal you know right and i think when you tie for instance like in industrial like animal farming to like the incredibly horrible labor practices like involved in killing yes. animals like that's when it becomes more i guess like palpable to people you know yeah it's really good for like liberal like activism to look like silly like rich people shit yeah. you know and like veganism and vegetarianism has like really gone through that ringer a lot don't you think oh yeah like it's it's a bunch of like white girls on youtube and yeah. instagram and stuff or like now it's like on tiktok i'll see these these beautiful british blonde women who are personal chefs for people and these are the meals i like to cook when i just can't be bothered at the end of the day we're going to mm-hmm. take some butter beans and put them in our, our our lovely enameled pan and it's like you know yeah. these kinds of like vegetarian and vegan dishes that are like you know gorgeous and beautiful or it's like you get that or you get the, like weirdly there's a lot of veganism in right-wing masculinity, you would think that mm-hmm. would not be the case because of how vegetarianism and veganism on the right is seen as effeminate, right? Yeah. Um, but also there's a lot of like these like vegan neo-Nazi bodybuilders and shit. Yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of that. I mean, there's vegan, you know, like QAnon people. There's vegan yeah. like anti-vaxxers. Unfortunately, like, when you just think about veganism as far as like like a healthy sort of like culty fitness thing it becomes completely like untethered from reality and i think people then are able to say like well vegan food is more expensive or like well vegan food is um like i guess like um just yeah for like rich people and like there some vegan stuff is like yes. way too expensive i stopped because, like, being vegan at home because i was getting priced out of it you know yeah and like yeah there are reasons for that you know mm-hmm. like you know this book is set in argentina where like the meat industry like is a incredibly large part of the economy and like I, um, their national identity and national identity yeah and that and like you know we are also big meat eaters in the united states and have like really really intense lobbying for animal products and and that's why they're cheaper than like vegetables and shit yeah and they're way cheaper than they should be yeah which is you know i mean it's kind of a labor issue yeah yeah it's a labor issue so yeah what do we want to talk about well, there's a, a thing I highlighted that I was just like, oh, where I think this is kind of where I want to dig in. Okay. Pun completely intended. So let's dig in. In my let's ebook copy, it's on page 61. Okay. And I, I don't know if that reflects the same as in your edition. I don't know. 
but it says um they went out to celebrate with Sergio's eldest daughter or uh they went out to celebrate when Sergio's eldest daughter started university. He asked himself while they raised their glasses in a toast how many head had paid for the education of Sergio's children, how many times he'd had to swing a club in his life. This is talking about the um one of the people who works in um is it Marcos? Is our main character? Yeah, Marcos. Um, so Sergio is like the best slaughterer or like stunner in the slaughterhouse. Like um, he does it with the club, you know, because the dying's better. Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know, the stun gun, it, you know, it might be efficient, but they don't always do it right. These young kids, right? Sergio yeah. is the one who whapped, you know, bops him on the head with the club to knock him out before they get their throat slit. Right. And so this is, um, yeah, that sort of like direct connection between like the way that this person earns money is through doing this. And so how many people had to die? How many human beings died to pay for this person to go to college? You know? Yeah. And these like children. I was like, that's the thesis. You know, like there, there it is. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, wow. And I think that's like a thing that we all do on the left maybe a little too much that like we we like use the like there's no ethical consumption under capitalism like as a crutch a little too often i agree yeah um and then slide into like not you know just not change not understanding that like again like prefigurative politics is a valid like way of exploring what world we could potentially live in and like you do that by doing and like if it's just you it's okay you're not gonna like we said you're not gonna like it's not like personal responsibility bullshit where it's like oh stop drinking stop using plastic straws like it's not that it's that you have a different like view of the world based on like your different practices yes um i mean it's the same thing as like being a a queer polyamorous person for you know like somewhat political reasons where you're like i believe that like monogamy is bullshit and whatever and like i want to live a different life yeah it's also just like good practice because the, the climate catastrophe is real and there will come a time whether we like it or not we're just like we won't be able to support industrialized meat on the scale that we do and you will have to eat less of it what does that look like yeah you know so i want to talk about so the other book that we read um for this episode is called meat love and it's a beautiful slim little volume by amber hussein it's, um, it's called Meat, Meat Love and Ideology of the Flesh um, by Mast Books. Yes. I will say that if you're not already on board with <laughs> um, the politics of vegetarianism or veganism or like total liberation, the this person's writing is a bit aggressive. Um, it's a bit of a criticism I have on it. Not that like that, oh, we have to ease people in or whatever. Yeah, but it is a bit like I was reading it and sometimes going, oh, God, like, 
Um, <laughs> it's it's a bit. I mean, it's a polemic. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's polemic, meant to like, be in your face. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I will say that, like, if you read it and you feel attacked and it makes you mad, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just a warning. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like. It's also really interesting because it looks at a lot of different like art and media. Yeah. Um, a- about meat, but mm-hmm. basically the like you know there's a couple of different points to this book, and I think like at first she talks about also being a meat eater and like deciding to be vegetarian, and there's a quote in here that like I think really hit me that is um so often have I witnessed resignation slide into limitless indulgence. The vegetarian comrade evolves into the meatiest bon viveur. Um, it seems unlikely that meat need to be naturally expunged from the very communist horizon if the communist order is to be defined by those whose passion for transformations coexist with a guiltless pleasure in feasting on animal flesh and by those who daily re- relish the products of animal exploitation. So I think for for her... You know, this is like about understanding that like animal liberation needs to coexist with like communist society and that like we will have a like we should not be striving towards a communist society that also includes animal exploitation right. um, because it also it it leads extremely easily i think i think to sort of like rationalizing all kinds of exploitation all Mm -hmm. kinds of like um violence you know yeah and like talking about that like equating those things can be kind of tricky sometimes because like a a criticism I, i i have of the like we treat animals the way we treat this is that like no we treat these people the way we treat animals right Mm -hmm. and it can be very bad to be like to equate non-human animals with animals sometimes because it's like a lot of people already are seen as non-human animals people of color um especially people with disabilities right like yeah i mean we use a lot of animal Mm-hmm. Um, language to talk about people like you know immigrants are swarming mm-hmm. you know they're um, you know like insects and there's so many of them and they're crossing mm-hmm. the border and like you know I mean you're right we do that like, or like the way already. we talk like the, the rhetoric around like black women and black men mm-hmm. um, in particular and so it's like because anytime it's like we talk about like the dairy industry, for example, and they talk about like the raping of these of the female cows, right? And I, yeah. I, and I like I understand the impetus to, and I actually liked the way that this novel talked about the sort of sexual exploitation of non-human mm-hmm. animals, um, and the way that we do frame it. I think that's a, a a way that I hadn't seen it framed before, and I was oh, like, okay. oh, that's good because yeah. so often it's just like we're raping these um dairy cows and it's like to equate that to the way that human beings um are raped i i it's again it's all part of the same system of exploitation but it sounds really reductive oh sure right yeah and so that's always something i try to be 
careful of, but it's like, mm-hmm. it is the same system of exploitation. There is sexual exploitation happening to non-human animals by human beings, right? How do we right. talk about that? So she calls, yeah, meat love is a gentrification of meat and a gentrification of the mind, which um, is something that Sarah Shulman writes about in her book. Um, so gentrification is a process, and I love this, that displaces not only people, but also their perception of reality. Yeah. So I think that that really applies to this book so much because they're the minds of all of now like this book deals with a very very like small part of the world and part of society which is important um like it is not like an expansive like world building exercise where we we get to see all these different like factions of society like we're only seeing the meat producers or the head sorry the head producers and like the people who went along with it so Mm -hmm. like i'm sure there are plenty of people who didn't go along with it who are probably not alive anymore in this book because people who don't go along with the process were often killed and then eaten at the municipal (laughs) slaughterhouse yeah so you know not to say that like because i also don't want to do the whole like like lambs to slaughter thing like where you know people just like roll over and let things happen i know that like throughout obviously many histories there are like people who revolt against like fascist regimes and i'm sure that that happened in this world but this is like dealing with the people whose minds were successfully gentrified and whose reality like marcos's family members or like right whose reality has been altered yeah by like this the process of head as the new meat and like maybe we should talk about like the things because like the more you think about it it's like there's all these things that change when you're when humans are your meat like there's no more pets yeah because animals are sick yeah there's like a distrust of nature in general which is fashy in its own way yeah mm-hmm. yeah because it's like scary and dirty and not orderly and like could kill you you can't have domestic head where you get permission to have a live head in your home that you can um slaughter well you have to have like a licensed person slaughter it or you slowly over time just carve bits and pieces off of it they Mm. literally have books in this world called like death by a thousand cuts or something and then like my batai alarm went off yeah as i'm in like batai (laughs) mode right now (laughs) me and me and justin from library of punk are just reading batai right now we're having hot batai fall wow and B- Bataille was like obsessed with this like image of a person going through the death of a thousand cuts. Yeah. Um, and that's like something that shows up in Tinder's the flesh is like, you know, you can slowly, you know, h- how do you cut bits and pieces off of your domestic head and keep them alive for as long as possible, either by like amputating something here or there, or it's like a dinner party where you just slowly carve into them overnight, overnight, overnight. Right. Yeah. 
Well, and that's interesting because like those are two different things. So mm-hmm. like one is practical. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, that's gross. But one of them is practical. And then one of them is like fetish. Yeah. One is like about desire and like about power. Mm-hmm. And like they bleed into each other in the book. So like there's a lot of like practical parts of raising head. And like in order to kind of keep the business running, there's a lot of things that are like forbidden. Like you're not supposed to if you like work in the in the slaughterhouse, like you're not supposed to have sex with the head. Yeah. And like you can necess- die for like they will they will execute you if right. you if you And that's not like that. because they think they're deserving of something else. It's because you're like fucking up the like science of it yeah like you're you might damage the meat somehow yeah if you impregnate if it's a female and you impregnate it like if you breed basically it's like are you good breeding stock you know like right right so it's very yeah. like you it's like very eugenic also yeah it's a quality control yeah 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 but yes there is like yeah, like all the pregnant head um are like all boxing Helena'd. Like oh, they're they're God. completely arms and legs amputated. Yeah. Yeah. It's also fucked yeah, up. It's this like is page a tough, two. Yeah, this is like a real <laughs> This is like a book. Okay, so like I don't uh, not a lot shocks me, honestly, anymore. Like we have a fucking cannibalism podcast and like we're both gross. But like yeah. this book is in is like actually shocking and upsetting and there are part there were parts that my stomach was kind of turned and so like if you can't get through this episode or this book like whatever that's <laughs> fine you're no okay still it's not even that it's that gory or bloody is the thing even yeah. the scene in the slaughter like the very extended like chapter that is just showing the slaughtering process is not actually gory Right, because it can't be because it can't it's be. it's cold. It's like a process, yeah. you know. Like you wouldn't sear, you wouldn't like you know rip apart the meat that you eat either. Like it's like you know, it's treating the head like reed humans as any kind of other like cattle. Right. You know, and there's a process. It's a job. It's like yeah. work. It's not like you're yeah, having like, fun at the slaughterhouse, like going nuts. Yeah. Like the scene in the slaughterhouse isn't just here. It's time to show the slaughterhouse. It's two people are interviewing for a job. And part of interviewing for that job is they just have to see the process to make sure that they can take it. Yeah. And there's one like who's like a little who's a little freak who's like trying to film it and is like, when do I get to do it? Like is like, yeah, like a he's little too, too excited. Into it. Yeah. And then there's one who looks visibly sick, but right. he needs the money, right? Like he And they're looks, like, that yeah. person is better for the yep. job because he needs the money and he's not a sick little pervert. But like, you know, it's absolutely no different from anybody who has to work at a industrial like you know chicken farm now Mm -hmm. and like has to take the beaks off of all the chickens which is gross i'm sorry i'm sorry it's gross but it's true 
Yeah, like slaughterhouses, at, at least as cited in Meat Love, which I think was just referring to in the UK because the author is from the UK. Yeah, but yeah, like yeah. basically, hundred percent turnover, annual turnover rate, because of how like psychologically damaging it is yeah. to you. And there's like higher rates of domestic violence with people who have worked in slaughterhouses. Like it, it's not good for you. <laughs> no, it you can't. Know? I mean, it can't be. It can't yeah. be good for you. Like I think that killing anything is can be yeah can be traumatic in some way to you like whether you're a vegetarian or whether you're like an animal lover or not like it's a it's a thing that we recognize as like horrifying and scary to ourselves like we as humans know that death is scary and Mm -hmm. like don't want it to happen to us right and so when we cause it to other people or animals we um generally have feelings about it <laughs> right and that's deep feelings normal. that's you know, fine that's fine you know even if you still choose to eat meat mm-hmm. you know you can still have that reaction of being squicked out by the actual act of something dying and being yeah killed. yeah and i think a lot of people do like i think a lot of people eat meat but probably wouldn't want to kill something you right. know, and that's nor like that's part of our society that we have established as a normal thing. So I'm not saying like that's a bad hypocritical thing. I'm saying that that's just like what we as a society have said is like fine. Right. Like I learned what commodity fetishism was through the example <laughs> of you buying like sausages at the store and how like separated you are from the people who prepare who packaged that and prepared it and slaughtered those animals and the animals themselves and like literally everything that went into no it's just this magical thing of sausages that shows up and that Mm -hmm. you can then fry in your frying pan like like how obfuscated we are like the example i like to give is like i grew up in a rural area so Mm -hmm. like when deer hunting season opened it was like a free pass to like not go to school because no one was there because most people were out deer hunting including your teachers right my dad and i went fishing all the time when i was a kid um my dad went squirrel hunting my dad was never a deer hunter but you know i i've gone hunting i've killed animals before i have fished right even as a kid um i was squicked out by it sometimes i always wanted to throw them back But even like killing the worm to put it on the hook, I was like, no, I've always been a little sensitive. I didn't like it. But um, like I knew what meat was and where it came from. Mm -hmm. And most people I grew up with also knew what meat was and where it come from. We were not separated. I mean, we didn't we, you know, the slaughterhouse process, obviously. But like if you've gone hunting and then prepared that meat for yourself, like, you know, I've prepared fish before like it's it's like oh this is what it is to prepare an animal to be eaten but then i also went to school with people who didn't make that connection and when they realized what chicken was they were like what you know yeah because we'd call chicken it's like we changed the, the it's called like chicken not a chicken right in a way so it's like even just changing it that much is like enough to be like or changing you know cow to beef yeah is enough to give us a little bit like huh what is that (laughs) but yeah like a part of capitalism is that obfuscation of where it comes from 
Yeah. Right. Like that's on purpose because then you also can't care about the labor conditions of the people or, you know, the conditions right. of the animal. Like if you can't see it, if it just magically appears for you, then you, you know, then you don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about like in the book there is, and I think this is like, this ties into meat love so perfectly. Um, in the book, there's a lot of descriptions of like, the way you would eat, you know, like a heart or a kidney or like finger, like there's all this stuff about like, you know, beautifully like prepared fingers or prepared, mm -hmm. you know, like that one butcher he fucks that one time and like how she was the first one yeah. to like sell ears and sell it's penises like the and sell yeah. hands and stuff. So she's sort of like the fancy butcher, like our hipster butcher type, you know. And so in Meat Love. Um, she talks about sort of the shift from what like John Berger talked about, you know, that that we didn't look at our meat and connect it like we didn't we tried not to like think about or look about look at meat as formerly an animal like it was a, a subject that became an object. Right. But with like sort of a our new like contemporary ways of looking at meat is like this like incredibly i think this might be anthony like, bourdain's fault as much as i love him i know i love anthony bourdain <laughs> but yes it is like the like fucking meat man like give you me know. the head with the yeah, eyeball still in exactly. it exactly you know? yes like yeah. like ah oh, man i love eating this heart you know like give me a heart that's been fried with some sweet breads and this like you know it's this uh like sort of um you know like hipster farmer with like tattoos of like the diagram of the pig it's mm -hmm. like this extreme like leaning in it's the other way it's the yeah. ab absolute opposite of like pretending that meat didn't come from the animal instead it's like you gotta look at this animal when you eat it because that means you respect it more right and like how both of those yeah. things come from capitalism in the same way it's both mm -hmm. making the product of meat saleable and marketable to like the public at its like various times you know like like there was a time where we didn't want to think about that and now like it's kind of cool and like hip to think of it as like we're omnivores man like we should be like going out and and killing a deer and then like thanking the deer because native americans did that which is so fucked up guys <laughs> it's like the practices of indigenous cultures and the way that they hunt and use meat and stuff doesn't mean that you are doing that when you're right like, if you just yeah, go thanks deer <laughs> thanks deer like that's and like we don't adopt any other practices of native first of all which native americans <laughs> But also, like, we don't adopt any other practices of Native Americans. We killed them all, or uh, many. There are, there are still many tribes that exist. But we yeah. killed many Native Americans. And then now we want to be like, we need to honor their practices. Like, we don't live in that kind of world. 
like where you can just pick and choose when to like honor something right and it's like it's almost the sort of like call out of like oh vegans and vegetarians like people who choose not to eat meat they don't actually love and care about the animals they're just right squeamish you know that kind of thing and like a point that I love. So there's like this whole section of meat love mm-hmm. where she talks about like Instagram farmers. Yes. You know, the ones that are like, you know, I make cute TikTok videos of me hanging out with these lambs, the lambs that then I will then kill and then cook and make a, a cool video about me cooking. Right. But at least they live good lives up to being killed. Right. Right. And it's like, I would rather that be how all of farming is yeah. than the reality. But the reason why those farmers are able to not eat as much meat and to treat their animals better and to make cute TikTok videos of them is because they already came from money. And so they're not <laughs> yes. relying on the profit of slaughtering and selling animals the way that most other farmers might yeah, because they they're they like have gentlemen they, farmers yeah they, they're they're tr- they're they're like trust fund babies yeah who are like doing this for fun and the way that they make their money is through influencer shit like brand deals and everything it's like that's what the product is not the animals that they might eventually mm-hmm. slaughter it's like if all you know meat production could be that way sure i still think killing an animal is wrong but like again it's like that's that that's a me thing i would much rather the like animals like be treated well you know let them listen like i do have the flippant thing of like i don't care that they get to listen to steely dan before you like (laughs) bop them in the head with a bolt gun but i would prefer that they got to listen to steely dan you know that actually sounds nice but like the reason that those farmers are able to do that is because they already have capital to some degree or like they don't rely on the profit from the slaughter and sell sale of the right like they're making the money off of being like almost like influencers rather than farmers right you know like they have instagram accounts with like two hundred thousand followers and they have other revenue streams they're not making money off of like their meat production only right and like obviously they don't want you to know that (laughs) right because that would really fuck up the whole like you know sort of the fantasy of the you know of the like so-called like ethical farming yeah um, world um she has a quote that i just found that i love that's it was little wonder that the bourgeois ethical meat lover remains so attached to the carnivorous habits of those without his own luxury of choice we need not wonder why the conscious carnivore so rarely expresses an interest in the sovereignty of peasant farmers over the land they work and its products, in colonial displacement or gentrification, in the assurance of affordable vegetables or grains for those who live in urban food deserts. To make these his concern would deprive him of a central justification for his own spurious pleasure. Fuck him up. Yeah, so that's the thing. Anytime you're like, oh, it's a privileged position to not be able to to choose to not to eat meat. You're right, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is also highly privileged as well, like to be that kind of farmer. It's like, why is it highly privileged? Right. You know, let's fix that. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why meat is like artificially priced extremely low and 
and in food deserts, you can't get vegetables. Because of uh, our government is run by lobbies. <laughs> it's a bunch of men in fancy suits who run the meat and dairy industries who are like, hey, if you give us subsidies to make this stuff cheaper, you know, it's like it's right. all like they get government subsidies. It's like why the got milk campaign was a thing like milk is whatever for you. It's not bad yeah, for like, you universally. It's nice when you're a baby. Yeah. You don't need it as an adult. Right. The got milk thing was just purely lobbying, you know, right? Yeah. That is, you know, and um, so that's like why. And like in like food deserts and stuff, it's like the things that are put in food deserts are like, you know, it's cheaper to buy things that are highly processed because they've got like corn oil and shit, like a mm -hmm. corn syrup and whatever in them. Again, something that comes from lobbying. Yeah. And like, I think like one of the things that like industries like that do extremely well is that they like are very they're very good at acting like they are like the salt of the earth people, you know, and like they're not and they're f wealthy, you know, like guys who live in McMansions like they're not they're not like plowing the fields like peasants. You know, like there's nothing about them that is connected to like they they would like step on a peasant, <laughs> you know, or Motel just, like, Hell was so ahead of its time with it's true. them being like, We're salt of the earth. It's like, no, you're not. You not. literally have a they business. Were petty bourgeois, like, yes. you know, just like small business owners. They owned a hotel. They had plenty of money. They were not salt of the earth. And meanwhile they were like you know, killing random fun swingers who just happen to come swingers. through town. <laughs> R.I.P. Swingers. Yeah, We've just never like forgotten judging. You. I mean, yeah, Motel Hell is perfect because because of that. Like the, you know, the the like wealthy landowner who gets to pretend that he's a good old boy. Well murdering sex workers and swingers and musicians and trying and turning them into into meat for him for his own needs like it's perfect just like grinding yeah grinding the people down and then he gets to pretend that he is the one that's right with god yeah like i just saw one of my highlights from meat love that's like mm. perfect for this okay. whole um, yeah let's let's hear page it 39 again it uh, you know of the ebook version but meat thinkers such as pollen um and um this fucking english ass name um fernley Whittingstall. <laughs> <laughs> you know your english Fernley, do not interact there's even a hyphen in there and everything yeah. it's so dumb um what they hope to achieve of shropshire in, of shropshire <laughs> I presume. Sorry, like, British listeners, we are horrible. It's like, it's like a fucking Frasier where he's in the thins and spinnies. Um, <laughs> when he was a chum, with the school chums. Chums. So, what meat thinkers such as these two fucks um, <laughs> hope to achieve in advocating, quote, <laughs> looking at our meat is to defend the commodification of animal bodies as the essence of nature itself. Ooh! love it yes yeah. 
Yes, and that's it. That's like this is about commodification, you know. Yes, yes, and like what this book, Tender as the Flesh, does is like take it to the next level. That's like if you think those things are normal, what would happen if you could no longer eat cows? What would you eat next? If the government told you that now you can no longer eat any animals, but we have a good solution and it's now to eat humans, would you go, okay, (laughs) I guess so, because that's like what we've, you know, like one of the things that um, our societies are very good at is telling us what is like normal and what is like reality. Yeah, like the the propaganda in this book is brilliant because it's yeah. really subtle. Yeah, and like for most people there's no way to ever argue with that, you know? Like if you're yeah. not if you don't have time, if you're working two jobs, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, this is what I have to do next. I mean, there's definitely plenty of times in my life that I feel like that where I'm just like, I am so exhausted. Um, you know, I don't have time to think about something else. Yeah, like that was something when I was moving that was like making my brain shut down because of like where I lived. Like um, you had to buy special trash, special, huh? You had to buy like city specific trash bags. And if Made you had of a bulky, human skin. Yes. And if you had a bulky <laughs> item, you had to like buy a tag for it to put on the curb. You couldn't Good just put Lord. shit on the curb, right? Yeah. And so when I was like moving and like, going through things and wanting to throw things away my brain was like freezing up because i wanted to be a good person and try to recycle and give away what i could but it was like this process of like i don't know how to get rid of some things i don't want to just throw things away but my brain is shutting down and that's all i can do but then my city is making it hard to do ah and it's like i I wanted to like you know where it's like i i wanted to quote do the right thing right but like with my commute the way that it was and just like the stress of moving in general. It was just like, I couldn't like, I found another uh, quote from meat love on page 41. Um, If then the peasant both loves his pig and celebrates his death. What if this were less the mark of some beautifully complex elemental quote, paradox of meat (laughs) than a simple regrettable feature of economic brutality. Mm. Right. I think that's, yeah, that's it. That's like, you don't need to turn it, you know, Michael Pollan and like, unfortunately, again, we love, we love you, RIP Anthony Bourdain, but like, yes, you were a a dick about this. He was a big (laughs) part of this. You don't Mm -hmm. need to turn it into a sort of like gross celebration of guts, you know, it's like, economically we live in a society where like a lot of people eat meat not Mm -hmm. necessarily by choice but by lack of choice honestly by just kind of like this is what we do this is what we do as a society and like i'm get i'm going along to get along and like that's how it is and so that is like the reality of your economics not And like for people like Michael Pollan and for Anthony Bourdain, who are, again, love you, Anthony Bourdain, but rich fucks who can go to a restaurant where like, you know, there's a a meal where you eat the head of a pig and they get to call it 
you know, like peasant food, but it's like a hundred bajillion dollars a plate or whatever, you know, like that's not it. That's not it. That's not it guys. Like that's not going to do anything. There's no way that that's scalable. There's no way that like people can participate in that in any meaningful way, you know? Right. Like this sort of like way in like, like in Tinder's the flesh, it was like, there was the death by a thousand cuts, like celebration kind of thing. But like, also sometimes people did they very much want to obfuscate the reality that they were eating a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, they hid them in like, if you know, the, the sister who has domestic head keeps the domestic head like down in the cellar. Right. And I mean, right. just like the way yeah. they call, talk about them, like, yeah, like the language of, of, eating meat is like similar to like you know cows turn into beef a chicken turns into chicken you know human turns into head human meat turns into special product or special meat and they even like use like the name of like pig and beef cuts for the parts right for the musculature of right yeah and then like to make things you know and then i guess like the humans who are eaten their language is extremely limited and they get to say like kind of like we don't really know what they think and it's like yes you do <laughs> we, we, you know what they think they're fucking horrified and terrified 24 7 otherwise why would you literally surgically remove their vocal cords yeah like we all know that cows cry when their children are taken away from them like we know that that's a fact of like living in the country too you hear that shit like my mom Mm -hmm. hears that at a certain time of the year every year and it's like you know i think for a lot of people that's just like a fact of you know reality it's it marks like a time in the seasons or whatever but it's like yeah to act like you don't know what these humans are thinking like they are humans they like they can't tell you what they think and like you did that on purpose yeah and it's like this book also sort of like I think I said in the Motel Hell episode that like my I, I'm not necessarily squeamish about the fact that like eating meat means that something used to be a living creature. I just don't like that something was killed, mm-hmm. but dying naturally. Like if if like I would not have an issue eating meat that had like died naturally. And if it were raised as livestock that was just like treated that it got to just like hang out. <laughs> its whole life until it died, right like right yeah um, and so like this book really helped me reflect on you know in this society what would i do like would i continue to be vegetarian or if it was like what if people what if it were like you know like there was a reason why when marcus's dad died like the the old folks home like the nursing home it's like you take people out in like armored cars and shit because they don't want scavengers like yeah. taking the old people or like who like died naturally right like right. so you oh, know and some, that's a good yeah that's like a good way to talk about class in this book too that mm-hmm. like again like you said like they use words or like we use words to dehumanize a lot of humans now and like in this book, they dehumanize like the poor. So like scavengers, they're scavengers. They're considered like less than they're almost like animals. And like they're talked about like animals that they like basically just like rip 
a body apart, you know? They don't even but talk. Yeah. Hungry. Like, they don't talk about the fact that, like, these people are poor and hungry. And, like, that's what they're doing. They're, like, trying to get enough food to survive. They're not, like, a different kind. Like, they make them out to be, like, almost like a different kind of human. They're, like, Mad like, Max Yeah, style. like, they have no morals anymore. And they're, like, terrifying. Like, they'll rip you apart. And it's, like, well, they're hungry. Like, they still live in an extremely fucked up capitalist system. And, like, if they were scavengers now, quote unquote, they would be maybe stealing meat or trying to get meat or whatever, or like maybe killing meat on their own. And we would just be like, like, we think that's normal now. We just let that happen. Like, we try to not think about it. Like, what, you know, the poor are are like doing to get by right yeah you know? like the the image that i remember is that one of the um scavengers that we see has a child with her mm -hmm. because it's just like a mom trying to get food for her kid right right like the the imagery that like the way that this author like perfectly cool shop effects mm -hmm. like images of how meat is treated mm -hmm. with like um how women are, are are treated in this like um like another huge aspect of the book is the fact that marcos is gifted a female yeah head. do we want to talk about that yes let's talk about it um okay. this is spoiler zone spoiler zone spoiler, yeah, spoiler zone. zone um i like seriously like the last paragraph of this book i was reading this on the amtrak um and i gasped so loud that i'm like worried people around me were like eh? i gasped in bed when i finished yeah it. I, was I was like, like <gasps> that's it oh my god so Looks like so yeah like i mean i feel like both of us are not easily uh like spooked or yeah. or you know but so yes so Marcos is gifted a female head that is like prime grade. Uh, um, what was it? First generation. First generation. Something. Yeah. So she hasn't been like crossed with other like breeds of like lesser breeds. Like she would be like, um, what's the like white like wagyu beef yeah like, i think she would it means be like that, the like, fanciest of beef yeah we're like the breeding stock like there was no like human non-head that was right. ever in that gene pool right i think is what it was like and from the very beginning like from yeah. the beginning of the transition it's always like been this like extremely like limited sort of like breeding yeah um of like good good stock which is also like something FGP that we say about something. people yeah yeah um so, she, so he's so he's gifted a female head and he um we he are and his wife are kind of like separated because of the death of their child right and like we are we're sort of like tricked mm -hmm. into having feelings for marcos that like he is a guy who's like really struggling with 
this new society. He doesn't he hasn't like eaten it. meat since his kid died. Yeah, like he's having a hard time and he doesn't like it. And so so we are, you know, it's like that kind of thing where you're sort of implicated as the reader where you're like starting to grow fond of the main character Marcos and like he starts falling for I'm going to put that heavily in quotes. He starts falling for the female head Jasmine. and they he names her Jasmine because he she smells like Jasmine to him um and he brings her in the house and she becomes his partner um however you know she can't talk so he has no idea what she's actually thinking and does not give a shit like he fully creates her like story for her yeah like and then he, he impregnates does, she, her. Yeah, she does get pregnant. Um, and he, you know, sort of talks about it as if like th- she's in her second trimester. We're giving her all this food. She's in her third trimester. I'm giving her massages. I'm doing all these lovely things for her, like the way I would do a partner. And then he calls his wife. Oh, she goes. She goes into labor, and things are not going well. Um, and he realizes that he needs help and his wife is a nurse and he calls his wife to come over and they deliver the baby and literally the second the baby is out and healthy and everything he slaughters her like not the baby Jasmine 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 was literally only good as breeding stock because his wife is kind of infertile really like it took them a long time to get pregnant and then the baby died after and they just like so it's like she kind of can't have kids and so he basically just used this woman to have his child to give so that he and his wife could raise it like yeah and then slaughtered her because he's to licensed have, to slaughter yeah yeah to have their nuclear family back and the wife goes why did you kill her we could have gotten more babies out of her so fucked up oh my so God. fucked up but like, it's like the- yeah. It's so good because it's like it implicates it implicates you for starting to like maybe question Marco, you know, for starting to be like, well, maybe he's not a monster. And then it implicates like, you know, the nuclear family, like society, the nuclear mm-hmm. family itself is monstrous to anyone who doesn't fit into that incredibly like restrictive you know like category and also just like the like the the horrors of like reproductive labor like it's very much what like sylvia federici talks about Mm -hmm. in caliban and the witch of like how like and not necessarily and i've heard some murmurings that federici might be kind of weird and turfy now i've not turfy swerfy swerfy god damn it sylvia but but i don't know i don't know we're, yeah. we're not gonna make that call yeah. right now yeah but but in caliban and the witch it's like not gender essentialist it's not like bio essentialist about like the like woman in capitalist society is tied to reproductive labor Right. Right. So if you actually like if you can't have kids, like you are failing at being a, a woman in, in capitalism, right? Like that right. is that role. Because so, that's like, your role. Yeah. Like th- your role in like reproduction of like creating productive bodies in the machine of capital to do more work. And that's like 
we literally see this happen in Tinder in the flesh. Tinder as the flesh is like someone who is viewed as meat is raped and impregnated and then gives birth and then is literally killed right after because she has served her purpose as, right. at producing a healthy baby who is a boy, right? Yeah. And I yeah. think it's also, you know, important. obviously really important to talk about like racialized violence and slavery. Um yes in this context all you know also that it like, is argentina <laughs> it's argentina um, there are but some hey, new german people in it <laughs> but hey it would also be an issue yeah like if Here. this was set in the united states it is yeah you know obviously something to think about that like we have an extremely brutal history of like you know raping black women and you know raising their children and like you know white women using black women's bodies for yeah. their own purposes and needs yeah and like yeah that's what this i mean that's what's happening you know this woman his wife left you know and like kind of like Mar in most of the book marcos is living by himself and like you know his wife left because she's really sad because their child died um and uh once he has this thing to offer her to make them quote unquote complete as a family again like she's back in you know yeah. like she didn't have second thoughts she also sucks <laughs> yeah she didn't have second thoughts about it at all like she my first thought when you know she comes to help is like you know she's like well, this guy's a fucking idiot who I'm married to, but there's also a woman who's in need and I'm going to help her. And like, that's where my blind spot Me too. was. You know, yeah. that I was like, okay, you know, she's got to help this woman. Like, you know, she knows that what her husband does is incredibly fucked up. But then it's like, nope, she didn't think that either. She was just like, cool, a baby. I want it mine i want it to make my life complete with my husband and like this will make our our like disgusting murderous life better like and now we can raise our child in this like violent you know just like sick world but like it doesn't matter because you have a nuclear family now you are complete as as human beings, you've done what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Ugh! Oh my god, it's so bad and it's so good. Right, like I, I was literally like, I literally gasped. It yeah, because it's so abrupt, and then it just ends. It's, <laughs> it's so like, abrupt. Ugh! Like it's like it, it, it hurts a little. Like I've like it's been so like hor like for a while i didn't read horror really because it like didn't affect me the same way that watching it does watching it's way right. easier for me to yeah, like yeah, yeah. get affected by it even if i don't get scared mm -hmm. but reading horror it's like okay i see words you know like but this it was like i was just so it's worms its way in as you're reading it it and it just uh like like oh my god like yeah I, if, if i still ate meat and then read this, I mm -hmm. honestly do not know what my reaction would be. And so I'm very curious about people who eat meat, who have read this book, 
yeah. what your reactions are. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from people. Like, yeah. do you not like again a million? I know we have to say it like a million times because we really do not want to sound like a bunch of like vegetarian evangel evangelists, not evangelicals. evangelicals. But I do have good recipes if you're curious. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> because like. Like I said, like I've literally been a vegetarian for like three months again. I was a vegetarian from, thank you. I was (laughs) a vegetarian from like age 13 to like 24. And like my first time around was very much the, um, like 1970s vegetarian shit, you know, which Mm -hmm. is like you read like diet for a new planet and like, all the um, animal liberation like books, which are great, you know, which are good. I I think they're they're very white and like not, you know. It's I like you know we're Marxists, and I think that it's good to like. That's why meat love is great because it like ties it to yeah materialism and you're yeah like, meat love okay. is an explicitly Marxist feminist text. Yes. Um, so if that's something you're worried about, someone just being a self-righteous vegan at you for how no, it's pages, not like that at it's all. It's not that it's like, not that, like that, that at all. It's it's harsh. Um, it's a but it's you know it's a polemic. <laughs> yeah, but I also think it's like harsh in ways that like even a meat eater, like a conscious meat eater, could kind of like agree get down with. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, like we understand that the sort of like meat capitalism of the like maybe the 70s it's different than like the meat capitalism of now but like it's for the same reason it's right. for the reason to sell meat and make us think that meat is a need and not like a desire or or you know yeah. like yeah yeah it's like in the society that we're building towards where, you know, even if we reduce meat consumption as much as possible, it still might be a necessity for some people. What then does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, if we're being good Marxists about it, like materially, when when the slaughter of meat is not about capital, when it's not about, you know, commodification, when it is about, you know, giving people nutrients that they might need that they if they are people who need meat for health reasons or or whatever like what does that look like when exploitation is not part of it right yeah or yeah and like violence will be part of it because always death but yes like violence is a part of a lot of parts of our lives that and we Mm -hmm. live with it in various ways you know yeah have i ever mentioned why i became vegetarian no podcast um i went vegetarian because i was living by myself uh, in grad school and Mm -hmm. it was my first time living by myself where i knew i'd be eating a lot of leftovers (laughs) i didn't want to give myself food poisoning Ah, amazing especially like yeah like i didn't want to like give myself food poisoning by like 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 not cooking something right or leftovers going bad or something and so i just like stopped i just didn't buy meat yeah I didn't eat meat. Yeah, like I feel like I didn't want to cook with meat when I was younger either, even if I wasn't vegetarian. Yeah. Because it's like messy and complicated. Yeah. And um, my partner, I was telling my partner about this episode last night and he was like, 
Yeah, honestly, the reason I went vegetarian is because the food at Bard, like in the dining hall, really sucked. And I just <laughs> ate the vegetarian food because it was a little bit better. And I think a lot of people do that. Like they just or it's cheap. I mean, it's cheap to make. There's nothing cheaper than rice and beans. I fuck with some rice and beans. <laughs> it's like, well, when I went to college, I was pescatarian for a little bit because yeah. I had I had developed some disordered eating habits my senior Fair. year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I figured if um if I'm like that was a way of sort of limiting, excluding stuff from my diet in a way mm-hmm. that was healthy but then it was hard to do at the dining hall and so then i just started eating normal again and then it was fine you don't want to eat fish at a dining hall no (laughs) and i like didn't have disordered eating for like the you know in college at all like i'm not one of those people that like because like you know people with eating disorders being vegan and vegetarian might not be the best thing for you to do right right Um, and i think that's yeah oh sorry yeah like it worked out for me fine um so yeah, I went vegetarian for um, just not wanting to get food poisoning reasons, but I would still mm-hmm. like eat sushi like when I went out with friends. Yeah. Right? Like I would still like eat fish sometimes when I went out to eat. Um, and then I went vegan originally for anti-capitalist reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like so when I went vegan, it was way more an ethics militant kind of like thing where like I even stopped drinking certain wines and beers because they were weren't vegan, right? right. Yeah, I was like really strict at first. Mm-hmm. Converting to Buddhism is actually what helped me relax mm-hmm. a little bit because it was more about am I doing the best I can, knowing I can't be perfect. So if I have a layover in midway when I'm at a job interview and cheese pizza is my only option, I'm not going to feel bad about eating the cheese pizza. And so then it was more like vegan at home, vegetarian, if that's the best option when going out to eat, mm-hmm. you know, like that sort of was was my journey. I think that that's there. like an important yeah. thing that like people can realize that like sort of the same with anything else. Like we are also it's like we're taught to be like incredibly like like lascivious in our desires and tastes and stuff like i want to eat tons of steak and i want to drink lots of wine and i want to smoke cigars and i want to whatever but then also like we live in a super puritanical society that like punishes us when we want these things so like i think that when you decide to like restrict your diet in some sort of way for ethical reasons you also like feel like you have to like buy into that weird like puritanical shit where you're just like no i will like flagellate if i don't eat if i fuck up once and then it's just over for me and like i think what helps us to not think about it is like that whole like personal responsibility like if you eat something out of plastic you're not like killing every turtle by yourself you know like humans fuck up all the time and like it doesn't mean that you're a bad person right and like there's no bad people like also as leftists like most of us believe that like there people aren't bad like it's the society that we like all must live under that like makes us various kinds of monsters (laughs) right you know like i think that's a brilliant thing about tinder is the flesh is that like there are people shown in that book who are otherwise fine yeah good like just good regular people 
Yeah, like the person who interviews for the slaughterhouse job. Uh-huh. Fine. Or the guy who's the really good killer. The hunter guy who kills yeah. the rock star who is in debt, right? I don't know. Is he good? I'm <laughs> He was the he was he was the, the Dracula guy. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. He seems like a sick fuck, but Yeah. But like, yeah, you're right. They're just like regular people and like in they're the doing system. Yeah, they're within a system. So like, yeah, even if you're like, I wanna just eat like slightly less meat. Or if you're like, I want to I don't know, it's the same as anything else. Like, you know, we're all trying to volunteer with food, not bombs. Yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> yeah, do you know, it's like go once a week to that. And it's the same thing. If you miss a week because you're working too much. Well, that's not your fucking fault. Right. <laughs> you know, like you did your best. And yeah, instead like, of like punishing yourself, like because the thing that meat love points out is that like a lot of the whole like meat love ideology is a way to assuage guilt mm-hmm. of knowing you have you are eating something that was killed right and that you are now eating it and that you're kind of squeamish about that it's a very middle class ideology explicitly yes and so how do then you assuage your guilt should you have it which i think is a natural thing to have it doesn't mean you're bad for eating meat if you feel a bit weird about the reality of the meat but it's like mm-hmm. okay instead of thinking of like how do i assuage my guilt think about what can i do to help you know, yeah. even if it's not reducing the amount of meat you eat, but just like thinking about what are some other things that you can maybe do. Um, even if it's like the point of Tinder's the flesh is not just about animal liberation and everything. It's also like it's a book about misogyny. Yeah. And just human liberation yeah. in general, you know. That, yeah. Like there are many ways that we like degrade different kinds of humans every day in this society so like you know how do you start ungentrifying your mind yeah which is hard and it's unlearning that's what consciousness raising is for right it's not just learning something you didn't know before it's about fundamentally changing how Mm -hmm. you see and think by like getting in there and (laughs) you know working around in in how you think and thinking about you know to 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 quote my queen donna haraway again it matters (laughs) what thoughts think thoughts you know yeah so um it's a great book i am so curious about what non-vegetarians think about it same but um also meat love also a great book very curious what non-vegetarians think think about uh, think about meat love um yeah like there's a um a person in um the uh the cool larp that we just got back from oh, doing man. let's not get into it yet too much yeah we're not going yeah. to that will be a, its own episode but like one of the yeah. players is a butcher in real life mm-hmm. and like we've had really cool conversations with this person including about yeah. this like um i we're like we're curious what they then think of me love should they read it because they were like really cool and had a lot of interesting things to say and like yeah really respectful so like yeah if you are a person who like eats meat or something and you've read either of these books or even if you're not it's like if you have read these books please like tweet at us or blue sky at us or whatever yeah we want we want to know like am i the only one that thought the sex scene between him and the butcher was way hot oh it was so hot it was so hot when like blood was dripping on them like david cronenberg shit 
there was like yeah, we didn't like, get to talk about that yeah like head blood was dipping dripping down onto his dick and he made her lick it off and i was like yeah. oh i'm on the m track right now <laughs> <laughs> but i think yeah and that's yeah. like what this book does a good job of like um you know talking about that there's like pervert there's like a perversion obviously to everything that like you know is considered like taboo like you know i mean why do we have this podcast like cannibalism is generally considered taboo in almost every society um and even when it's not there's like great restrictions placed on it and it's like like a universal taboo in the way that like incest is and like how much incest porn is there (laughs) you know most of it (laughs) how much cannibalism like uh erotica are we all like talking about fucking all the time you know it's it's getting it's it's moving up in the charts it really is yeah poor richard (laughs) syken is like come on guys um but yeah like you know it's also yeah and like we can talk about this in another i feel like this is a good episode to have just to like talk about you know the erotics of cannibalism and that like that like the things that are taboo obviously are the things that like we also think are incredibly hot i mean meat not... love is erotics hey that don't make you a bad person yeah <laughs> meat yeah. love's about like look how sexy this steak is yeah whatever, you know? like guts are all juicy and bloody and red and you know mm. yeah hannibal the erotic Don't threaten of me food. with a good time. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Well, is there yeah. anything else? Any other final thoughts? Um. Uh. Apparently, this author has like a new like book of short stories out or something. Yeah. Um. And I really want to read it. So yeah, I do should too. go get both of these books. Read them. Um, your library probably already has Tinder as a flesh because it got popular on Book Talk, mm-hmm. um, which normally Book Talk uh blows chunks, but they were right in this instance. But get your library to get Meet Love. Um, you know, yeah, Meet Love is like a small, it's a small press. It's from Mass yeah. Books, and um, it's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's like fifteen dollars if you buy like the hard copy. Um, yeah, support your small small book presses also i didn't know john berger was also chill with like animal liberation rights shit i was like yeah that man we love that man come on we love a good 70s icon with a great like button down shirt oh love him he does he yeah he's he's all over the he's all over the place we love him king (laughs) we stand a berger we stand a Berger. I need to brainstorm if I'm going to put noise at the end of this episode, and if so, what? John Berger saying like, "Women look at men. Men." Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or no, about- women don't look at men. <laughs> men look at women. See, looking, get it? Ideology. It's all yeah. connected. Oh shit! Ways oh, of shit. seeing. Anyway. Uh, anyway, I finished my glass of wine, so I'm getting silly. I don't have any alcohol, but I do have a, a hot chip, so I'm ready to eat hot chip and lie. Ooh, and lie yeah. down. And hot chip and, and lie down. Hot chip down, and yes. lie down. <laughs> so it's literally these chips are 
hot flavored. Hot flavored. Wow. That's me. I'm hot. Jay has flavored. a bag of chips that don't have any brand on them. They just say hot flavored on Uncle them. Ray's. Like a, yeah. It's like a at- Simpsons beer can. Yeah, it's this little gas station slash lube emporium. Nice. It's, you know, where you go to get your car lubed up and oh, like, or washed, but it's right. called the like, emporium. I don't know what cars are. <laughs> and I and I call it the lube emporium. Cool. Anyway, I'll put something funny here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> cool. What do you what does your shirt say? Code for libs? <laughs> no, it's a it's a um, it's a it's a conference. Uh-huh. Oh, like uh, library. Well, yeah, Not it's lib. like people who do like okay co- code techie kind of stuff, but okay. in libraries. Code for libs. <laughs> code for libs. Shouts hey, out. We love our libs out there. <laughs> yeah, we totally love you, libs who listen. Shout out to our libs. Shouts out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll stop it there. Okay. The process of seeing paintings or seeing anything else is less spontaneous and natural than we tend to believe. A large part of seeing depends upon habit and convention. 